The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove them, all of them, out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling their doves, take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, what sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, this temple has been under construction for 46 years and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. This is the gospel of grace. Speak to God. You may be seated. So this, this week, on a morning drive to Midway Middle School, one that happens on a regular basis, my daughter Rebecca made a statement which has stuck with me from that moment until this one right now. I can't remember the last time I heard you preach, which is true. I realized it had been quite some time since I stepped into this spot this way to do this task. It's just been a while. For most of her life, I have not been serving a church or a campus ministry. In fact, Bruce said to me this morning right down here, so do you have experience doing this? <laughs> and I said, well, only 15 years. It's only 15 years worth of experience, but we'll try and make it work. So in the intervening years, between the time that I transitioned out of representative ministry and got into the for-profit world, I have had a chance to, let's say, pray sermonically in the churches that we have attended. One immediately jumps to mind, my, if you look at my wife and my daughter, they're gonna be embarrassed at the moment, but maybe you'll laugh, who knows. It was the weekend that uh, Prince left the earth and it was my turn to be the congregational prayer leader. And I stepped to the microphone and I said, Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to get to this thing called life. Because I found it to be an extremely powerful word. May have come from Prince, might not have come from these words exactly, but one that we all needed to take in. I was responsible for a children's sermon a few weeks in a row in a church when we needed somebody to do that. That was fun, it was a blast. I've stayed in the church but I haven't preached a sermon in almost a decade. In fact, the last time I did something even close to this was a sermon at my sister's wedding last year. So Kindle asked a few weeks ago, would you consider preaching at Lakeshore if and when the call ever comes that uh, I can foster and we're gonna do a maternity leave thing? And I said yes without hesitation because you should say yes. If you're asked, you should say yes. Not knowing what day it would come, as we know, the call came days ago, right? So then begins the task of, so who's going to preach this Sunday? We settled it, as I'm sure the disciples did centuries ago. We settled it by group text. 
Think about that for a moment. Imagine if the disciples and Jesus had a group text. Yeah, that's another day. But we settled it by group text. And so here I am this morning. We have arrived at the third Sunday of Lent. The days are, in fact, getting longer, which is the meaning of the word Lent. We have moved forward from Ash Wednesday, and we are moving inexorably toward Holy Week and the cross. Can't help but see the purple, the readings, the trend. We know, because we've been doing this for a while, we know where we're going. But how are we going to get there exactly? And a reading like this from John this morning, well, let's put it this way. We'll, we'll take a poll. How many of you really enjoy what I tend to call the vacation Bible school Jesus? The smiling Jesus, the graceful presence, the offerer of snacks during vacation Bible school, the one who gathers everyone in and has a very positive experience and just lives out the gospel in that wonderfully smiling way every day, all the time. That's Jesus. This also is Jesus. This is a completely different look, though, which in the Gospel of John is not, shouldn't be shocking at all. Because in John, there's always two ways to take something, and probably three or four if you think about it a little deeper. Because you have what's happening, the literal of what's happening, but you also have the figurative of what's happening. And Jesus likes to bounce back and forth between the two, except Jesus doesn't actually tell you that you're bouncing back and forth between the two. You just need to figure it out. You should take it in and it should become obvious to you and then you should live your life differently. But if you look at the picture on the front of the bulletin, take a moment, take in the art for a moment. You are here because you're a follower of Christ. If this is your first time ever in a church, you're still a follower of Christ because you came here this morning. If you've been at this all your life, you are a follower of Christ too. And Jesus has updated his profile picture to this one. For this Sunday of the Lenten journey, that's my picture. That's how I want you to interact with me. I enter the temple. I fling the table up. The, the legs are pointing at me. There's money on the floor. I told everybody to get out. I have a whip in my hand. This is me. I have no hashtag. No hashtag at all. But this is me. This, this is part of the journey. About the only thing I can do at the moment when I realize that this is part of the journey is I have to tell myself to breathe a little bit because I'm still thinking about vacation Bible school, Jesus. I still want, I still want the smile. I still want the, everything is going to be awesome. It's going to be great. But there is this temple, this building in which we worship this morning. But there is also this temple the body of Christ of which we are all a part. And somehow betwixt and between is how the faith is lived out and how the community comes to understand relationship with God, relationship with each other, and relationship, importantly, to the world outside these four walls. And somehow we have to keep all that intention together and live out a faithful life. So as anyone would be want to do in the year 2018, one would want to find a meme that accurately reflects this, this vision of Christ. So I thought, I'll just see what's out there. Always a daring thing to do. So 
One image I came across said, and I wouldn't put it on the bulletin, but you, you take it however you would like. If anyone asks, what would Jesus do? Think about how popular that question has been over time. What would Jesus do? Remind them that flipping over tables and chasing people with a whip is within the realm of possibilities. <laughs> because it is. But think hard about the context and what's going on in that story and what goes on in us as to why the whip and why the flipping of tables. So for me to be able to share that with you this morning, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my ministry journey, a little bit. Uh, someone commented on my stole this morning. In my transition out of ministry, I didn't keep all my stoles. I had tons, but I didn't keep them all. But this one I picked up on a mission trip in the country of Honduras. We were in a place called Santa Catarina, Honduras, which is in the far southeast corner of Honduras, right on the Nicaraguan border, in a place where nobody comes and goes for six months out of the year because if it's the rainy season, you can't go anywhere. And when we were there meeting with the people and, and working with them, the one thing they wanted us to take home was don't forget us. Don't forget that we exist. When you go back to the States and your life there, don't forget we exist. So I keep this with me so that I try to remember those folks. Some days it's easier than others. But the church takes so many forms in so many places. My last appointment in the United Methodist Church, and I have to, it's a confession, I am United Methodist. I have to confess that in these Baptist walls. My last appointment was to a very large church in downtown St. Louis. In fact, I was fond of saying that I was appointed to a very large building, a very large temple. I was not appointed to a large group of people at all. Over the decades, that place in downtown St. Louis had seen a worship attendance in the 15 to 1600 range every Sunday. It was where the bishop's office was, the district office was. It was the hub of activity. By the time I came to it in 2004, there were things falling off the side of the building. There were windows that weren't there anymore. It was a big building. And I had committed, let's not say that that way. I made a choice to ask the leadership if I could go and serve that church. In the United Methodist Church, that hardly ever happens. If you ask for something, you'll never get it. That's actually how it really works. But I did, and they said, you know, we'd like for you to take a shot at this and see if anything is possible, because we're probably going to close the place. So see if anything's possible. So I'm appointed to this big building, and I come and go out of this building every day and cannot figure out what God would have us do. Not just me, but what would God have us do? And then I realized that Almost every homeless person in eastern Missouri spent their days and nights within about two blocks of the church. Let me explain what constitutes homeless services in the eastern half of Missouri. Thou shalt have a ministerial alliance and a local social network. That network shall get together enough money to put one on a bus, and that bus should drop one off in downtown St. Louis about two blocks from the church, and everything should be fine. You can see how well that works, right? So we were a church in that area. We 
determined, I determined to go meet with the mayor and say, how can we partner with you to, to do things in downtown? And the mayor said, no one's ever asked me that question. Those who come to see me say, give me money for my thing. I said, no, we want to know what would help. Well, if you could do something about homelessness, that'd be great. About a year later, that all came back around and we partnered with the city to build a drop-in center for homeless people within this building because it had plenty of space and we could do things within it. That took us down a long path. Part of that path meant going to a place called Glide Church in San Francisco. Anybody know of Glide Church in San Francisco at all? Huge partner of the city of San Francisco, hugely diverse and inclusive congregation in downtown San Francisco that does amazing social things within San Francisco. And I convinced the folks who were going to put things together in St. Louis that we need to go to San Francisco. Before that, I'd gone to San Francisco with my wife to look at the place. And the pastor there is a guy named Cecil Williams, who had, has been there since like 1965 or something like that. And he said to me, as we were wrapping up our time, because I'd only met with him for about five minutes, you came here for advice. I have no advice for you. Sage of a man. I have no advice for you. But what's worked for us here is find the thing that scares you and take a step toward it. Just think about that one for a minute. Find the thing that scares you in your life and take a step toward it. So if the flipping up of the table, the money on the floor, all that stuff makes you go, Ugh, that might be a sign to take a step toward it and not away. Might. You have to make that choice on your own. In the process of doing this drop-in center, I was confronted by people who were our partners who said, we're going to need armed guards to make sure nothing bad happens in this place. To which I said, uh, I don't, that, that, that doesn't, no. Well, we're going to need that. Those folks went on the trip to San Francisco, came back, we put the center together and it was successful in operation for about a month and a half and the guy who had said we need an armed presence came to me and said I want to apologize I was completely wrong. Had we done that it never would have worked. Ever. Then I was confronted by my own leadership in the United Methodist Church and I'm going to use a phrase here that was used with me twice. Just tell me how it makes you feel. You can tell me later if you want. It's okay. I was told by two different people, you know you can't build a church on the poor. Just let that sink in for a minute. You can't build a church on the poor. And I thought to myself, I believe it might be time for me to go. It was, well, they opened the door and helped me through it later. But <laughs> it was about that time when I knew I was not long for that place. We are all in a situation in our lives where things happen around us that we have to decide how are we going to interact with these things, these experiences. What is God calling us to do? And we have to make a choice. We have to. We're followers of Christ. We need to choose how to interact with what goes on around us, how to respond. What are you going to do? And so I'm going to turn to a couple of uh, 
let's say, cultural theologians, for lack of a better term. One of my wife's favorite sayings of all time from, from a movie. See if, you're, if, you're, if you remember this one. It is our choices, Harry, that show what we truly are far more than our abilities. We are confronted with choices all the time. If you were there with Jesus in the temple that day, would you have stayed? Would you have taken off and run in the opposite direction as far as you could? Would, have, would you have stayed in the same spot and asked yourself, what is going on in front of me? Life is full of moments. And just for fun, another cultural theologian, a Canadian theologian, actually, though I don't think he realizes he's a theologian. One, uh, one man named Getty Lee, uh, most famous for being the lead singer of a group called Rush. If you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. Think about all that is going on in the world today, both right here in Waco, in our state, in our country, in our world. Each of us must choose how we will have an impact on that and how it will have an impact on us. And if you're looking for the sermon that says, and the answer is, I don't have one. I have the same answer as Cecil Williams in San Francisco. Find the thing that scares you. Like I have to find the thing that scares me. And take a step toward it. Find a way to act on the things that surround us. Not easy to do at all. And that's why we have meals like the one we're going to celebrate here in just a few minutes. To remind ourselves that we are not alone. That even though it's our choice, we are not totally alone in making these choices. We live in a community of faith. We can bounce things off each other. We can support each other in making these choices. And we can be fed and sustained by the body and blood of Christ who sacrificed for us. So this is the time. This is the place. There might not be money changers and there might not be an actual table for you to flip over or there might not be. But this is the time and this is the place. So what will each of us choose? And I hope that we can share the answers to those questions together as life unfolds. Let us journey together with Christ and let us take a few moments for reflection before we turn to the communion meal this morning.